Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. Hi, John. It's good to be back again. How are you doing? I'm fine, Elizabeth. Thank you. Okay, we will get started then. I, I'm glad that we're back here together again today. We've got a lot of things that have come up for us recently, and I am told that you have a story to tell or an idea for us to discuss, and I have no idea what it is, so why don't you hit me with it? Okay, so this was actually one of the, a story about the, maybe the earliest, but one of the earliest business planning cases I was involved in. Uh, this might have been before the invention of fire. I'm not sure, right. but it was a long time ago. Uh, I was a young attorney and I was referred into a client by, by another advisor. Uh, and I met with a client, let's say his name was William. William came in and he said, uh, you know, I'm, I own this business. It was a fabrication business and it wasn't a big business. Uh, but he had maybe a dozen employees and his daughter and her husband worked in the business. And he said, you know, I'm really ready to, to kind of throttle back a little bit, but I, I still need income from the business. He probably would never have enough money if he sold the business to, to be able to live on. So he needed ongoing income from the business indefinitely. He said, but other than that, my daughter and her her husband are doing a fine job and they've approached me and they would like ownership in the company. He said, I'm perfectly fine with that. So let's figure out a way to do that. So uh, I came up with a brilliant plan. Of course, this was before exit planning, although it was an exit plan in effect. Uh, came up with the idea of what we'll do is we will transfer the common stock of the company to the daughter, non-voting common stock to the daughter. And William would keep a preferred stock in the company that paid a dividend every year. So, and then plus he would continue his salary and the dividend plus the salary would be enough, more than enough to meet his needs. And eventually he could retire and just continue to get the dividend. So I thought that was a pretty good idea. In the meantime, as the daughter and son continued to grow the value of the company, they would get all the future growth and value because they owned the common stock. So I thought that was a pretty good plan. William agreed. He said, yeah, draw up the papers. All right, just draw those papers up and I'll, uh, I'll have everybody sign them and we're on our way. I said, okay. I was young, not particularly bright and certainly inexperienced. So I said, yeah, that sounds fine. So I drew up the stock certificates, the agreement, the amendment to the articles of incorporation, just all the kinds of stuff lawyers do to prepare to transfer the ownership. And so I sent everything out to Tom, to William with a cover letter saying, okay, get this stuff, get, get everything signed, we're indicated and then send everything back to me. And uh, he said, fine. So I'd sent everything out, out to him. Didn't hear back for, I don't know, a week or two weeks. And he calls back. 
He said, John, I said, yeah, what's going on? You get everything signed? He said, well, I want you to know that when I presented everything to my daughter and her husband, they wanted to look at it, but they said, you know, we really need to have the voting interest and you need to have the non-voting interest because we're taking all the risk moving forward. We need to be able to make all the decisions. And he said, I'd like you to make that change to the documents so that I have the non-voting preferred stock. They have the voting common stock. I said, William, are you sure you want to do that? Because you know, you've lost total control of the company if you do that. He said, hey, it's my daughter. I trust her. It's not going to be a problem. I think it's a good idea. I said, okay. So I changed everything, shipped out the documents again, changing uh, the voting stock, the non-voting common stock to voting common stock, et cetera. And uh, waited for a while, hopefully getting the documents, signed documents back. And he, William calls up again. He said, John. I said, yes, William, did everything go okay? He said, no. My daughter and her husband held a special meeting of the board of directors and fired me. And furthermore, they said, we're not going to pay you the dividend on your preferred stock because we're going to use all the income to grow the business. And then William said, John, how could you have let this happen to me? Right. And at that point, I realized I was about to be sued for malpractice. My first planning case, one of the very first. And I said, okay, William, just send me back everything. I'll double check everything. I was just trying to stall for time, I think, to figure out what in the heck I was going to do. Uh, I, my legal career, I saw, was going to evaporate in an instant. I'd only been practicing law for you know less than 10 years. I said, William, send me back all the signed documents and I'll take a look at everything, see if it's okay. I was trying to stall for time. And when I said, well, I've got all the documents. They're still in the envelope. Nobody signed anything yet. And I said, really? Really? No one signed everything? I said, okay. Well, in that case, what we can do is you and I can have call a special meeting of the board of director, you, William, and you can do what you want to with your child and and son-in-law because they don't own anything yet. You haven't signed any stock over to them. So he fired him. That's sort of the end of the ex my first exit plan story. <laughs> it was a total disaster. Um, so I guess my question, Elizabeth, is how I now know what I could do, but what would you do in that scenario when someone says, hey, just your a client is doing something you don't think is a good idea what do you do to convince them not to do that? Mm. I've had so many, happen. yeah, so many clients want to do things that I, <clears throat> that I sense or I know are not in their best interest. And, you know, of course, you know, depending on your background, uh, and your and your profession, an advisor is, of course, immediately going to go to, you know, what is my, what is my CYA method in mm -hmm. this case? Uh, and, and that can be addressed pretty easily, but, uh, but 
I think so. I think maybe the the protecting of the advisor from the malpractice or the claim or the fury of the mm-hmm. client is something that would be maybe slightly easier to address. And and protecting the client from their own bad decisions is the harder yeah. the harder thing to do. So what can I do in that case? I think the writing things down is is great for CYA and is overrated as a way to communicate with our clients. A lot of business owners don't have a lot of time. They process very quickly. They don't want to sit and read a long pros and cons essay that I write to them in a memo. So there's a couple of other things you can do. Maybe I'll go first. I have no idea what I would actually do or what if given given an opportunity to think it through. But another idea that comes to mind is that if I had other people in the mix, at the table, on the phone, maybe once everyone got email after this client, on the email chain, somebody else would also start to see the red flags. And that would be helpful to me. So old school, you know, if this is in the time before electricity or whatever, maybe we're having a meeting in person at a table where we're discussing what we're going to do. And if I had maybe invited uh, this client, he's a small company, you said, but maybe he's got, uh, maybe he's got a CPA. A lot of them do. He didn't have a CPA. Maybe I invite that CPA to the meeting as well. And that person could also say, whoa, whoa. And maybe that person has a different relationship with this client than I do. Maybe I'm new to the case and they don't know me and trust me as well. They just believe I can do the work. So maybe the CPA is a family friend. Maybe the CPA has a different relationship. Maybe just two advisors saying, hold on, do you understand what you're doing here would make a difference. Short of that, like there might be some other advisor. There might be uh, a spouse to your client who if in the room, maybe can also say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that that's what we were talking about. I do see that that's risky. Or they can all together with a lot of people in the room decide to go forward anyway and say, you know what, that's a risk I'm willing to take. And if it goes badly, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer those consequences and I'm okay with that. That would, so get another advisor in the room, get the owner's spouse in the room. If not to, if not to talk them off the ledge, then at least to have more people saying, okay, we understand the risks and we're willing to take the chance because business owners know about risk. They take it all the time. They, it doesn't always work out. That's why it's called risk. And, and they might, they might just decide to go forward anyway. The last thing I might do is make sure I've got daughter and son-in-law at the table so that maybe I can talk through what are your plans? How, you know, I have some thoughts about dad giving up control. What do you intend to do? Just to maybe see if maybe we put some cracks in the planning. Maybe we shed some light on what their intentions are. Maybe no one had ever asked them what they thought should happen next. And maybe that would have uh, taken the conversation in a different direction. So I'll stop there maybe for a second and say, you know, those are the first few things that come to mind is that if there are more people involved. We have more opportunities and more ways of communicating, right? Yeah, I think that, I think that that's a, an excellent suggestion. And bearing in mind, <coughs> excuse me, bearing in mind that most of the advisors listening to this podcast are not attorneys. They're financial advisors, financial planners, insurance advisors, uh, CPAs. So they're, they're not approaching it from a legal aspect as well. So it really is a good idea to get their viewpoints in. And if you are the financial planner, 
making suggestions, the, having a lawyer involved in that meeting along with the CPA, I think again, is more effective. And, and I, so getting other advisors involved early on to offer their viewpoints, especially a trusted advisor is really a good idea. The other thing I thought of and is that the design we use in this scenario is very seldom used in exit planning. We very seldom just give the whole business over to the kids all at once. Uh, today, we would want to know all of the owner's goals and aspirations. We would want to know what the resources really consisted of, consisted of with accuracy. We would want to know if there's a gap. We would want to know if we had to grow value. We would do an exit plan. And most exit plans, especially transfers to children, transfer ownership over a period of time because it's more effective from a tax standpoint, from a gifting standpoint. And also it gives the owner parent or the owner the opportunity to see how the children are performing as they take over more and more responsibility in the company. So I think the whole, just the planning process using advisors uh, actively is a lot of protection that I just didn't have. And I would suggest a lot of planning today, especially for smaller clients, is done with just a single advisor doing all the decision making and moving forward. And it may be right, it may be wrong. There's probably additional ideas that as an advisor, you can get or receive that additional input through developing a, a panel or a team of advisors that you can work with. Right. Totally agree. Uh, I, I hope that things worked out with that client in some way that gave them a little bit of peace and comfort. Uh, do you happen to remember? Well, <laughs> since we didn't talk about this earlier, I'm surprised, a little surprised you answered that question because I did have another encounter. So this was maybe six months after everything had been settled. William got a stock back. The daughter and son-in-law were gone from the scene. They'd been fired from the company. And I'm get, pumping gas at a gas station. Up pulls the son-in-law next to me. The pump next to me said, oh, hi, John. How's it going? It was like nothing had happened. Really? At all. I was just really strange. So I thought, this, this is a very strange person. He didn't have any personal grudge that I had made sure that he was no longer with the company. I, I just don't think he, I don't know what he thought, but that was just strange. Was okay. Just, just well, maybe out. what you really did is you did everybody a favor. You got them where they were really trying to go, which is that they needed to be separate and they needed to have different, they needed to be on different paths and you actually ended up helping them do that. I think I'm going to choose to believe that that's what happened. I haven't thought, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm going to accept that answer. Mm -hmm. That's our explanation. Everybody was very happy after that yes. and all future holidays were saved. And <laughs> thanks to you. That's what we'll go with. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you've shined a light on uh, why we plan because this had we uh, as, as the planning process that, that, you really developed over a long stretch of time and a lot of experience evolved your own planning process that you that you were able to articulate in later years 
would have made a huge difference in this client scenario. And I think we all, if we've been around for long enough, we all have these stories in our background, usually in our early years. I know I have them too, where things did not go the way that I would have wanted them to. And they would not probably, if I had, if I had exactly the same scenario today, they wouldn't go that way. And so I really think that these sharing of ideas and the stories and the failures and the heartache that have happened for family businesses and other types of closely held businesses is our way of trying to avoid some of those difficulties with, with future clients. And, and from what I can tell, it really does work. The storytelling and the sharing of the, of the semi-disasters is good for the future. If there are business owners listening, they can take this to heart and say, okay, there are ways to prevent um, uh, you know, the nuclear option. And if there are advisors listening, they can say, okay, I've learned a little bit about when I see this kind of scenario, I think I have some ideas for what to do. So, so that is what I think the great benefit of these stories, particularly difficult ones have. So I appreciate you sharing. That's why we plan also. Yes, it is why we plan. Well, thanks, John, for being here today. I look forward to coming back next time with the next scenario, the next most difficult, most challenging issue in planning for business clients. We will bat it around, see what you and I can do about it and bring in the stories and the, and the expertise that we've gathered from other advisors and try to see if we can move the ball forward a little bit. So I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Gain the insight and knowledge that thousands of business owners and their advisors have used to plan for the future. The BEI membership equips you with the proven process that enables owners to exit their business on their terms. Receive access to case studies, podcasts like the one you're listening to now, a resource toolkit, and so much more. Cement your position as the trusted advisor to your most successful clients. Get started today by visiting exitplanning.com forward slash membership. That's exitplanning.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.